Joshua 13 through 19 is the passage today. And this is a detailed account of how the land promised to Israel is apportioned to the 12 tribes after the land had been conquered. They are now given what is called their inheritance. Yet the situation is that they have not fully possessed the land which is their possession because there are still little Canaanite strongholds throughout the land. And so this passage is about possessing the land that is their possession. It's about possessing their inheritance. And I've thought about a way that this makes any connection to Mother's Day and there's nothing. There's no connection at all. But this makes for a great building campaign passage. Possessing our land. And that's what it is about, really. This is about how God's people possess the land that is promised to them. It is about how they are going to come in and take the possession that is their inheritance. And so what we're going to look at this morning is what is the inheritance? That is the nature of the possession. Why does the inheritance need to be possessed? Why does it need to be taken? And how? How does it get possessed? How do we possess this inheritance that is ours? And so will you pray with me? Lord, we come to your word. For your word gives us life. Lord, we, sh- we pray that you would show us more of our great spiritual inheritance that we have in Christ. That we might be motivated to run hard after you, Lord, because you are more than enough for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you look at this first section on uh, what is the inheritance. Uh, the, these, these chapters are really dealing with the allotment of the land. And if you look at this map, I think there's a map up here. This is a map uh, of the inheritance given to the 12 tribes of Israel. It's hard to see it, I know it. But this is basically a visual map of Joshua chapter 13 through 19. And one really important side note I want you to notice right from the very beginning is that this map right here, this map is a picture of God's covenant faithfulness to His promises to His people. That He says in Genesis 12, He had said to Abraham, the great, 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 great grandfather of these people, He said, to your offspring I will give you this land. And now, these chapters, 13 through 19, is showing how God is giving them the land. You see this map right here in these very chapters are a reminder to letting it sink in that God keeps His promises that He says, and He's giving them the land as He promised. So that's something that this map is a, is a picture immediately of that God is keeping already His promises to His people. Now if you look at these chapters, Joshua chapter 13, uh, the beginning of it is uh, talking about the land that still needs to be conquered. And we can keep on that map for a little while. You can go back to it please. Thank you. Um, The beginning Joshua 13 is talking about land that is still to be conquered. And if you look at the map, there's the lower part which is Judah. There's the cities near the coast, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod that need to be conquered. Some of the areas around it that need to be conquered. Uh, Up north there's some places that it talks about that need to be conquered. 
then Joshua 13, uh, the, the latter part of it, uh, talks about east of the Jordan. So if you look on this map, there's a river that goes in the middle. And then there's the lands on the east of the Jordan. These lands had already been uh, given to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to Gad and Reuben. They were given before them, but they were not allowed to take this land at this point uh, prior to this because they hadn't taken the land yet. But now they have, and so these are the lands on the east side given to those three tribes, Gad, Reuben, East, Manasseh. I love maps, just so you know. I I could spend all day looking at maps. Uh, We're not going to do that, but I, I love looking at maps. Give me a cup of coffee and a map, and that's my vacation. So... One part, it talks about the, the tribes on the uh, east of the Jordan River. Then Joshua 14 talks about the tribes and their inheritance to the west of the Jordan River. And that is, um, which is happening now. These, these nine and a half tribes are now being given their possessions. And what's interesting in this passage is that as it talks about how these lands are given... It says that they're given these lands by casting lots. It's like, kind of like the roll of the dice it almost would be. And this is why if you uh, are a mature Christian, you know, you grow in life, at the end of life we oftentimes see uh, parents rolling dice to give their children their inheritance, right? <laughs> no, no, we don't do that. You know that. But what, that's, that's kind of what it seems like is going on. They're rolling the dice to see who gets what inheritance? Well, that's not exactly what's going on. At the passage that we read at the very end, 1951 says, These are the inheritance that Eliezer and Joshua and the head of the father's household of the tribes distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord. The point is that it was God and God alone who decided what the boundaries of each of these tribes were going to be. It underscores God's providential planning on the boundaries of these people. Then Joshua 15 explains the, uh, the boundaries and cities of the southern tribe of Judah, which you see is a big one. It starts with talking about the boundaries of the Great Sea to the west, um, the Dead Sea to the east. It talks about uh, to the desert lands of El Paso in the south. Excuse me, I mean uh, Egypt in the south. It talks about that, and then it talks about some of the cities that are there. And then the next chapters, 16 and 17, talk about the tribe of Joshua. Now, if you look at the map, it says East Manasseh, West Manasseh, and Ephraim. This is, together, Ephraim and Manasseh make up the tribe of Joshua. So these three, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, uh, Judah, these are the big boys. Judah and Uh, Joshua. These are the big boys that they get the big inheritances. And then Joshua 18 and 19 focuses on the allotments to the rest of the land given to Benjamin, Simeon, uh, Zebulun, west of Galilee, Naphtali, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, and Asher. And if you look at the map, you notice these are the smaller ones that are all around different places. But the big big boys are, are are Joseph and Judah. Now, if you were to look at this map like a pie, and you're looking at the size of different pies, you might think, 
why is it that Judah gets a bigger slice of the pie? And why does jo- uh, Joseph get a big slice of the pie? Um, the point there, in some ways you can say, is that uh, from a practical perspective, Judah, Joseph, which is Ephraim and Manasseh, they have a bigger, they have bigger tribes. They're bigger people, so they get more flocks. There's more, more flocks that they have, so they need more land in some sense. But also the three older sons of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, earlier on, in a way, they forfeited their slice of the pie. In Genesis, they forfeited their slice of the pie because of sins that brought great hurt to their father, uh, Jacob. You can see this in Genesis 19, uh, 49, verses 1 through 7. The next thing is that Judah, he becomes the, the one who gets the great blessing um, out of it. The other thing is, one other point is, why does Judah and Joseph get a bigger slice of the pie, so to speak? Well, in some ways, with with more land comes more responsibility. And so, throughout their history, Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh, they bear, they're going to bear more of the responsibility for defending the people and for driving out the Canaanites that are still in there. So there's more responsibility that's given to them. But I think here's the big point that you see that each of the, the different tribes have different sizes and different portions is that the detailed allotment of the land, which is driven, given by lot, by the casting of lots, it underscores that God has made these boundaries for each of these tribes, that each tribe gets exactly what they need. And also is to show that the big boys, so that they don't take the little boys' pie. That's, in some ways, what's going on. And in this, we should see that God, He provides for all of His children, for all of the tribes. He provides for all of their needs. We see His provision for them in setting boundaries. He sets the borders of each tribe so that they have enough and makes sure that they don't end up taking from each other. You see, God is the one who has set their boundaries and has made sure that each of these tribes has what they need. And you see, my my brothers and sisters in Christ, you who are children of God, do you know that your earthly lot in this life is in the hands of God our Father? He is the one who has determined the boundaries and circumstances and things of our life. Everything that we have is given to us by the providential hand of God according to our needs. He has determined the boundaries of our life and the circumstances that we have. And yet we know oftentimes that in this world that we live in a world where there's Pinterest and Snapchat and Facebook and Instagram and all these things. When you look at somebody else's lot in life in these, through these things and you want to say, I wish I had their lot. I wish I had their circumstances for my life. And we become discontented with the lot in life that God has apportioned out to us. But if you know that God has set the boundaries and the circumstances of your life, this is for us a great comfort and security in our life. Calvin said this, The Christian has this great comfort, which provides greater security to him than the highest peak of wealth or power. He knows that his affairs, that is his plans, his work, his business, his family, his hopes, are all ordered by the Lord. 
This is for us a great comfort and security to know that God has set the boundaries and circumstances of our life. And He is our Father. And so He knows what He's doing in them. With great security and comfort, we know that God holds the lot of our life and the boundaries of them. This is what Psalm 16, which we came into the morning worship with, reminds us. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You hold them. The lines of my inheritance have fallen for me in pleasant places, whether they're small or whether they're big. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, is what the Lord says. And so what is their inheritance? What is the people's inheritance? Well, and I think you can break it up in a few ways. One is that at this point, they come into the land and they're given all this allotment. And they are now a people with a place. They're no longer wanderers. They're no longer slaves. They can now plant fields. They can harvest crops. They can grow their families, be fruitful, and multiply. They are a people with a place. And what that also means is that because they're a people with a place, now they have rest in the land. And so it says oftentimes in this section that the land had rest from war. And so one of the things that they get, one of their great spiritual, one of their blessings is rest. They've come into the land and they have their houses and they have these things and their families and they can rest. Hebrews 3 says that the generation before that perished in the wilderness was not able to enter God's rest. But now there is a sense in which they have this partial rest. And so part of their inheritance that they have now is they have rest in the land. Because this echoes all the way back to the idea of the Garden of Eden where they have God there and they have rest with Him. And this is what the land is. is this picture of somewhat this land of rest that they are now in. And what that means ultimately is that their great inheritance is that they can worship God. It says that the, uh, the, the Levites, for example, specifically, that their own inheritance was God Himself. And now with the Levites leading the people in the worship of God, leading them to joyfully and freely worship God who is with them in their midst, they are given this great inheritance, which is the free worship of God in their land. And so this, in some ways, is their great inheritance. And what is our inheritance? I think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And this is what it says our inheritance is as Christians, is that blessed be the God and Father who has, who has now blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, our right now blessing, our inheritance, is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what the Scripture says. Right now, we have been blessed with 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is our present inheritance. And so what are these spiritual blessings that we have now? It says, you have them now. You have these spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places. What are these? Well, we are blessed as a people with a place. We have the body of Christ. We are together, one united people in Christ that have such possibilities of rich fellowship together as one people gathered together as the body of Christ. This is a great spiritual blessing that we have right now. But also for us in even greater measure is we have rest as a blessing. You see, we stand on this side of the cross where Jesus has accomplished redemption for us. He has accomplished all that we need to rest. We stand in His victory. We stand resting knowing that we are safe, that we are accepted and secure in Christ. And so for us, one of these great spiritual blessings that we have is we have spiritual rest for our souls. And also we have the great riches of knowing and worshiping God that we have been united to Him by faith and we have this possibility of communion with Him that is deeper and closer than any intimate friendship, any marriage, any relationship that we have this union with Christ right now. This is a spiritual inheritance. This is a blessing that we have at this very moment. This union that we have with Christ that means that we can have deep fellowship with Him. And so these are our inheritance that we have right now. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are ours. But you ever hear that song, um, Buy Me a Boat, that country song? You know how that country song goes, Buy, Buy Me a Boat? It starts with this. It's, I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. And it could buy me a truck to pull it. You see, that, that song is saying, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. Well, that's a nice pie-in-the-sky platitude. But really, I want a boat, and I want a truck, and I know that money is going to buy me those things that I really want. And when we talk about these great spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenly places, about our communion and union with Christ, the rest that we have in Him, and the fellowship that we have, it says, you know, that sounds great, those spiritual blessings, but really, I just want a truck in my earthly garage. What's the problem? The problem, you see, is not so much with the spiritual blessings. The problem that we face when we come to this place where we say, we have all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, but really I just want a boat. The problem is not with the blessings. The problem is that we have not learned how to enjoy and to appropriate these blessings that we have in our life right now so that these things seem so much more real to us than our spiritual blessings. You see, we are Christ's body, yet we fail to pursue driving into that deepness of the fellowship that we have with one another. The rest that we have in Christ, and yet we forget to even rest our bodies and our minds. 
And so because we do not appropriate them, this is why we say so oftentimes that we would really rather just have a boat or a truck or any of these things. And this gets us then into thinking about why is it that the inheritance needs to be possessed? Why is it that our inheritance needs to be possessed? And this is the the question that Israel faced in a similar way. You see, if you look at uh, this context, Israel faced this great temptation of basically thinking that boats and trucks was their blessed spiritual inheritance. They didn't have boats and trucks, but basically, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 6 through 20, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about how God is their great inheritance, that when they had all of this abundance of their crops, they had all this peace, they had all these houses, they had all these prosperous families, the great temptation, it says, for them was to forget their God. And think, we have all these things. We have our great inheritance. And yet God says, do not forget me. Isaiah chapter 2, later in the prophets, the prophets come back and they rail against the people for forgetting this as well. Because what the people have done now is they start high-fiving the foreigners and they make deals with the, the Philistines and the Canaanites. And they say, yes, that's great. And the Philistines come and it says that in the land of Israel, at a low point, at a low point, it says that their land is filled with silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. And their land is filled with idols and they bow down to what their own fingers have made. You see, the great temptation was looking at their land and thinking, this is our great inheritance. And looking at all the things that they have and saying, this is our great inheritance. And the reason that the Canaanites had to be driven out was because the Canaanites would draw them away from pursuing their great inheritance, which is God. The Canaanites would turn their hearts over to greed, to greed over the land and to idolatry. This is why Israel was called to drive them out. This is the reason that they would draw them away from their true inheritance, which is God Himself. You ever uh, hear the legend of St. Patrick? How uh, in his, the legend of St. Patrick is that basically when he went to Ireland, he went and he drove out all of the snakes. Now, I don't understand that because there were no snakes in Ireland, but anyways, according to the legend, he drove out all of the snakes in Ireland. In the same way, the people of Israel are called to drive out the Canaanites because a Their poisonous snake bite, so to speak, would draw them away, their hearts away, from their true inheritance, which is God. You see, driving the Canaanites out of the land wasn't about greed. It wasn't, we want this land because there's not enough room for the both of us. It wasn't about that. See, if if it was about their greed, 
then they would have, what they should have done is to just enslave the people. And that's what they end up doing, in fact, a lot of times. Because if they wanted to enslave them, they could get more stuff from the land. It's not about greed. That's not why they drive them out. Nor is it because they're afraid of them as foreigners. It's not because they, are, they look differently, they, they look differently, or any of that stuff. One of my professors in seminary said that if you looked from archaeological stuff, if we tried to understand the difference between a Canaanite and an Israelite and all these people, ethnically, they pretty much looked the same. And God has many big words uh, and, and warnings about uh, hurting the foreigner. He says in Exodus 22, You shall not wrong a sojourner, that is, an alien, a foreigner, or oppress him, because you were sojourners in Egypt yourself. You see, the point is, it's not that the Israelites are like, we don't like you because you're different, so we're going to kick you out. That's not why they're called to drive them out. And it's not because they're greedy for the land. The only reason that they're called to drive these people out is because these people would draw the Israelites' hearts away from their true possession, which is God Himself. This is why. And there is a great warning because it says in Joshua 15, 16, and 17 that they could not drive out the people from the land, but instead they put them to forced labor. And so we see right here that there are the seeds of their idolatry and of their greed even here. And it's going to come back one day and bite them. And you see, my brothers and sisters, that the great application for us in our personal lives here is that we must drive out the sin that is in our life. We must do so. Romans 8 tells us, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors but not to the flesh to live according to the sinful flesh. For if you live according to the sinful flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, the call for us is that we must drive out the sin from, that is in our hearts. We must be ruthless in doing so. Not thinking that we will lose our salvation, but as John Owen once said, we must be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Why were the Canaanites to be driven out? Because they would kill them from worshipping their one and true God. We must be active in, so to speak, driving out the Canaanite strongholds of sin in our life lest they take us away from our true inheritance, which is our Lord. But here's the thing. We all know that strongholds of sin in our hearts are strongholds for a reason. The Canaanites that remained in different little places in the land remained in strongholds for a reason, because they are strongholds. I remember a season of time in my life when I was in high school when I tried to drive out strongholds of sin in my life. And I just tried and I tried and they just put me deeper and deeper into submission to them. 
And even now, all of us struggle with recurring sin and strongholds that are in our life. And we try to drive them out, but it is so difficult. But that scripture in Romans 8, remember, it says, but if by the Holy Spirit you kill, you, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You see, the good news is that we are not, though we are not capable of dislodging the Canaanites of our hearts, the Holy Spirit is a stronger man than us. He fights for us. He is the Spirit of the resurrected Christ who raised from the dead in conquering sin and death. And so we have the resurrected Christ in us to enable us to root these out. And so this gets to the point, to my last point, which is how? How were the Israelites to dislodge the remaining Canaanites and fully possess their inheritance? How do we do it? How do we dislodge these these strongholds that still remain in the land? This is what the story of Caleb in Joshua 14 is all about. He becomes a model for Israel and for us about dislodging the Canaanites that still remain in the land. Now if you remember back to Numbers 13, which uh, Caleb references in here, Caleb and Joshua and ten other spies, they had gone into the land and they spy out the land from this place called Hebron. And when they go there, they see that there's produce of the land is wonderful. That there's beautiful and wonderful land to be taken. But they also find that though it is bountiful, that the land is well fortified and that the Anakim are there. Which if you remember last week, Manuel said the Anakim are giants basically like the great incredible Hulk. And the Anakim are there with these settled cities. And if you remember what it says in Numbers 13, what Caleb says, he says, with a settled conviction deep in his heart, we can take it. We can do it. And the other spies, ten spies, come back, and they say, we are like little grasshoppers to them. We're grasshoppers. We're knee-tied to the grasshopper, and they know it too. They're going to squash us. And it says that the people's heart melted. It melted like a flip-flop in June sun in a parking lot in El Paso. (laughs) They just melted away. And this is for us too. When we come into the heat of opposition or something that God is calling us to do, our hearts melt so much and so easily like wax. But Caleb says, we can take it. And now they are 45 years later in the same place. And, he, and, and Caleb is an 85-year-old man. 85-year-old man. And 85-year-old Caleb says, give me that land of Hebron. I'm going to take it. I can take it. I know that the Anakim are still there, but I can take that land. He says then in verse 12 of Joshua chapter 14, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. I want you to get this picture in your mind. 85-year-old Caleb versus a well-fortified city with three men who are the Anakim. 
Now, a, a community group on Tuesday, Joshua was, uh, uh, Joseph was explaining to us a little bit about these Anakim as well. These three Anakim are kind of like this wrestler guy uh, named the Great Khalil. Now, if you know the Great Khalil, he's this wrestler who's seven foot one. He's three hundred and fifty pounds guy. He's he's a massive guy. And what he does is he just grabs people with his hands and he grabs them and just brings them into submission by squeezing them or just grabbing them. And he's big and he's huge. So imagine this old grandfather, your grandfather, with his stick versus these three seven-foot-tall WWF wrestling guys. And he says, I can take it. It's insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. And yet Joshua says to Caleb, basically, okay, Josh, okay, Caleb, I see you can take it. Yes, because God is with them. And he says in verse 13, okay, Caleb, I see you can take the possession of the inheritance. Hebron is yours. And so Joshua 15, verses 13 through 16, records what happens next. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Uh, actually, earlier this week, one of Matheson's friends uh, called, our, our son's name is Hebron, by the way, and uh, called Matheson and said, hey, can I call your son Kiriath Arba? <laughs> off of Joshua 14 and we said yes but only when he's in trouble so Kiriath Arba White come here but he's given the land of Hebron in Joshua 15 13 through 16 he gave to Caleb a portion among the people of Judah Kiriath Arba that is Hebron and what does it say that Caleb did and Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai and Ahaman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deber. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath, Sephar, and captures it, to him I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. Now when he says, I'll give my, wife, uh, give my, son, uh, my daughter as wife to whoever takes this land, it's a way of saying that, look, the only one who is remotely good enough for my daughter is the man who's brave enough to follow the Lord and take that city. And I would say that's, that's a good, good point. But what does it say? Caleb, he drove out the three descendants of Anak. And in this text, three times it says in Joshua 14, that Caleb took Hebron and he drove out the Anakim. He drove them out and Othniel took Deber and drove them out. And the point that it says here is that each of us, we can go and drive out the Canaanites in the way like Caleb. But how? How did he do it? How did 85-year-old Hebron, Caleb do it? With the strength of the Lord. And it says this, uh, three times the way he did it. It says that he wholly followed the Lord his God. This is how 
Joshua 14, 14, verses 8 and 9 as well. He says, therefore, how did he do it? Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzites to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. How did Caleb take the land from these these Anakim? in a well-fortified city. It says, because he fully followed the Lord. With steadfastness of his heart, he followed God. It's repeated three times in this text. But then, the question for us, who are so often not like Caleb, we who have hearts that melt like wax so often, where, does, where do we get that heart that wholly follows the Lord? Where do we get a heart like that, like Caleb, that says, I will wholly follow you, Lord. You say go up to that mountaintop and take it from those giants. I'm going to do it. Where do we get a heart like his that is wholly, completely devoted to following him? See, that heart comes from looking to the Lord who keeps His covenant promises. We get this heart from the Lord by looking to the Lord who keeps His promises. Exodus 34, God had already said, I will drive out the land, the the inhabitants from the land before you. I will do it. And Joshua says in Joshua, uh, Caleb says in Joshua 14, 12, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. Where does a heart that wholly follows the Lord come from? It comes from looking to the Lord who keeps His promises, who says that He will be with you. That's where the strong heart to follow the Lord comes from. Knowing that He keeps His promises. And you know that God keeps His promises to you. He keeps His great covenant promises to you to be with you. And what is this great promise that God has said to you and to me who are His children, who are in Christ? The promise that God has for you is that He says that you right now, child of God, you Christian, are in the possession of Christ Himself. You are Christ's very possession. Philippians 3 says, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this inheritance of the resurrection from the dead, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. You see, if you are in Christ, His promise to you is that Christ has made you His own. You are His possession and He holds on to you tightly. And it is because you are Christ's possession right now that you can go on with wholeheartedness of following Him and take the possession that God has given for you. We can obtain the inheritance because we are right now Christ's very possession. This is how you will go. You have to know you are the possession of Christ. And only by knowing that you are the possession of Christ. That is a promise. And knowing that, you can with full strength of your heart follow Him and drive out the Canaanites 
and take your inheritance that is given for you one day. A number of years ago, I went uh, and ran a half marathon. It was a long time ago. And I ran a half marathon with uh, a family friend, Jamie Collins, and his son, Kyle Collins. Um, Kyle is about my age, a little bit younger, but he has cerebral palsy and is unable to talk and he is unable to walk. And I remember when I ran this half marathon with them, we're running and I run to the end and I finish the half marathon. And it was beautiful because Jamie was pushing Kyle in this uh, running stroller. And as he's running down this last 100 meters of this half marathon, Jamie is barreling through the end of the marathon, pushing Kyle in this stroller. And he's barreling through and he's running and he's running and he's got sweat all over him and he's pushing with all of his might his son across the finish line and the crowds are roaring and they're roaring and in this stroller Kyle who cannot talk who cannot walk as he's going across the the finish line he has this huge smile on his face and he is running with endurance this race with joy and how could Kyle finish this race it is because he was in the possession of someone who was so much stronger than himself that he could wholeheartedly with joy run that race you see you and I are the possession of Christ who is much stronger than us and so we can wholeheartedly with joyful powerful endurance push to possess our inheritance and so let us pray Oh Lord, we thank you that we press on to receive our inheritance because Christ Jesus, you have made us your own and we are in your hands. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us in our hearts to shake off all of our guilty fears, that we would arise that we would go on and press on in our Christian life until we obtain to the inheritance of our resurrection. That we would arise in our hearts, Lord Jesus, and press on because You hold us tightly. We pray this in Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.